0: Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org.
1: Happy Mother's Day. I want to uh, just express a heartfelt Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. And at New Horizons, we celebrate moms, whether you've birthed children, you've adopted children, fostered children, Uh, some of you have functioned or fulfilled the role of spiritual mothers uh, for those. So maybe you don't even have children of your own in your own household, but you have been a mother to uh, those in your circle of influence. And so we just want to let you know how thankful we are for you, what a godly gift you are to the people in your life as you have demonstrated and modeled and, and been that expression of God's motherly heart, his loving heart that has uh, cared for so many in your life. So thank you moms, we celebrate you and, and we're thankful for you on this Mother's Day. Well, we have been looking at this idea of being a priesthood uh, for God and we the scripture that we've been looking at, the passage, has been out of 1 Peter chapter 2 and we're going to spend some more time there today and uh, during this message. And so I encourage you, if you have a Bible or an, an app uh, to look up, uh, go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 2. And we'll get there in just a moment. Our focus out of this portion of scripture continues a long series of messages about what it means to be a disciple what it means to follow Jesus and what our part is in that. In this particular series of messages around discipleship, we've been looking at our role as a kingdom of priests. And we go back to this definition or this idea of what a priest is. A priest spends time with God and then out of that relationship with God, he or she uh, demonstrates or brings that presence of God to others uh, around him or her and so it's time with god but then also time representing god to the world around him or her and so those are the two main ideas that we've been focused on and and we're going to go back to that uh today with with this message last week the the emphasis was on looking at this idea of of how we're called to be a people who are not getting caught up in the politic of the day or fighting with the government, but instead, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, this is not a withdrawal from uh, or pulling back from earthly authorities. Instead, it's just a readjustment or shift from being an advocate for it or against it. Uh, It's a position where uh, Peter just recognizing that if our authority is indeed God, is our ultimate authority in our relationship to God, we live out of that in every circumstance, then earthly authorities uh, are, are not to be feared and they're also not to be worshipped or to uh, to be praised. They're, they exist uh, under God's acceptance and his appointment, uh, but they're not the primary influence in our life. And, and so, Even in Jesus's life, there's some measure of ambivalence about the role of government. It's not an avoidance. It's not, like I said, a withdrawal. But uh, as Jesus said, he said, give to Caesar what Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Uh, Essentially saying this idea of, you know, there are demands that are placed on us from earthly authorities. And so there's not a mandate to buck against that or to support it and propagate it. Uh, Jesus simply said, if Caesar asks you something, give it. Don't don't make a big deal out of it. But make sure that whatever God asks you to give or God asks you to do, that you do that. That's your priority. So throughout the uh, New Testament, we're encouraged to not make much of a to-do about earthly governments. Uh, Don't get caught up in what's happening with earthly government. Uh, Be as participatory as you're able as you're required to Uh, but the primary role that we're encouraged out of that is to pray Uh, that is the consistent mandate in scripture that we are to pray for all of those authorities the ones we're supportive of and we like and the ones we don't like as much Uh, it doesn't make a distinction about uh, which authorities it just says pray for all authorities other than that um, you know, it, it's an indication by our commitment to the kingdom of God that demonstrates to the world around us of whose we belong to and what part of king, uh, a kingdom we're a part of. In our modern time, it's difficult because we have a, a 24-hour cycle of politic that is, that is being put out there through news feeds. And, and so, uh, you know, I've noticed it's, it's a little bit uh, like reality TV now. Politics used to be something that, you know, was on a C-SPAN channel, and you, the Senate floor was going, and it was always the running joke that, you know, who wanted to watch politics? But anymore, it really is like a 24-hour reality TV show. You you know all of the he said, she saids. you know who did what, in what circumstance, and the latest gossip coming out of Washington, D.C., and uh, it's... it's uh, goes on without end and it really tries to entangle us into that and it comes right into our living rooms and gives us all the latest happenings of Washington DC. But what we're encouraged in scripture is contrary to that. What we're encouraged in scripture is not to get caught up in the kingdoms of this world, but to really function as kingdoms for God or priests for God and his kingdom. So there's a distinction there that when we are priests in his kingdom, that there is a role that we have in the kingdoms here on earth. We are to pray and participate as an act of stewardship, but to the degree that we participate in our earthly kingdom versus God's kingdom, it muddies the water for us. Our primary focus is God's kingdom and to be priests and ministers in his kingdom. So, What happens or how do we deal with this void then that's left if we're not going to be as engaged in the earthly kingdom as say those around us who maybe are really consumed with the politics and the back and forth, if we, let's say, diminish that within our life to some degree, or maybe to a great degree, would be helpful, and we focus more on God's kingdom, there's obviously going to be a void in what we talk about because so much of time and social media and conversation is filled with politics as a, a core piece of that so what should we lean into what should we be focused on well today in in this message i'm going to give us some encouragement again out of uh first peter chapter 2 that gives us an understanding of how is it that we unveil god's kingdom to the world what is our role what is it that we can do that helps unveil his kingdom and what he's doing and maybe how that contrasts to what's happening in the world around us. So we're going to, again, be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Uh, Otherwise, we'll have the words here on the screen as you follow along. But let me begin with a a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you uh, for your grace in our life. Uh, We, again, just begin on this day when this uh, is being published, on this Mother's Day. We celebrate moms, we ask your blessing upon Uh, those who have had such an influence upon our life, whether they are uh, our moms by birth, by foster care, by adoption. Uh, Lord, those spiritual moms in our life who have input uh, so graciously their wisdom and their life and and imparting of their life to us, we ask your blessing upon them. We're so thankful for the way in which they demonstrate your heart and your wisdom and your care and understanding for us. And so we just ask your favor upon them. As we turn to the Word now, we ask Holy Spirit that you would enlighten, uh, in, in, just dis- display, put on uh, display your Word, and help us uh, have wisdom about what it is that you want to speak to us. Uh, Lord, our hearts get entangled in things, and so I pray that you would untangle us from our own appetites and desires, and from the things that happen around us in the culture that influences us so that we can faithfully and fully follow you with all that we have and all that we are, amen. Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25 is the portion of scripture uh, I'm highlighting today. So uh, let me just jump right in to this now again peter is talking to his audience and we just finished a portion this previous week about our interaction with earthly authorities now he's talking to servants who have authorities within the home so that's how verse 18 begins servants be subject to your masters with all respect not only for the good and gentle but also to the unjust for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows whilst suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now, this can be a little bit of a difficult passage because it begins with servants and masters. And so, uh, contextually, we put it in that that realm of understanding. Historically, there were this role of servants and masters. Uh, and unfortunately, that uh, is difficult for us to, to kind of reconcile to our, our own understanding. But if I can encourage you, if, if we were to put it in our modern understanding, uh, put it more in the context of workers uh, and employers or supervisors and employees, something in that context would maybe help you see the connection there. Now, Peter makes it a point to say that it is something of a grace, it is something of a, a witness to endure sorrow unjustly. So when a person is accused or suffers for, for something that he or she didn't do, suffers in an unjust type of suffering, he's saying that it actually becomes a testimony or a witness for God. Because when we suffer for something that we actually did wrong, so let, let's say that I was to steal something and then I'm caught and then I'm punished for stealing that. It's not somehow a testimony to God that I'm punished because I'm actually punished for doing something wrong. Peter's making that contrast, he's saying, listen, when you get punished for something that you actually didn't do unjustly, you're, you're punished unjustly, but you endure it for the sake of Christ so that you can have a testimony for God, he's saying there is a grace that goes with that and it is something that can really uh, help people see what the kingdom of God is about. Now, this is, again, difficult for us to grasp. Who does that? Why, why would somebody do that? Why would they subject themselves to unjust punishment? And we put ourselves in the context of the United States and our court system, and everybody should experience justice, should. Uh, we We are on the back end, unfortunately, uh, where it's, it has been revealed this week that back in February, uh, a, a young black male was, was murdered in the streets uh, in Georgia, and, and so we recognize that there are still unjust systems. There are things wrong within our, our systems, but uh, it is our desire, it is our hope that justice can come for every individual. And so this is, when we come to this passage, it's a little bit challenging for us because we say, how is it that justice, uh, we, we should somehow suffer unjustly and that glorifies God? Well, there's a great picture of this in Acts 26. If you want to look in your Bible to Acts 26, I'll get there in just a moment. But it it really is, uh, it's the Apostle Paul, and he gives us this great picture of what it means to be a prophetic voice or an unveiling voice, an image of God's kingdom in the world by suffering unjustly. In this passage, we see the Apostle Paul, he's being put on trial, first by Jews, who are making accusations against him. They don't like that he is preaching about Jesus. They don't like that he is teaching in their communities about uh, the unveiling of God or the revealing of who God is through Jesus Christ. And so they, they punish him. They actually beat him and, and then they hold him on trial. And Paul makes this appeal. He gets getting, keeps getting passed from one authority uh, to the next. And he's giving his side of the story each time. And when we get to Acts 26, uh, what's happening is he's standing before King Agrippa, who is ruler of these territories outside uh, of Judea. And so King Agrippa wants to hear Paul's plea. Why is it that Paul thinks that he's innocent? And, And so this Roman ruler, he's asked to hear Paul's case. But it's interesting that Paul gets in front of Agrippa and instead of making his case of why he's innocent, I I encourage you, go back, read all of Acts 26, because I'm just going to read a couple verses out of it. But when you read this, you see Paul is not giving his defense of why he's innocent before the Jews or why he's innocent before Rome. Paul's actually giving his testimony. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible story to read about how Paul is taking an unjust circumstance, accusations against him that are not fairly brought before him, and he's using it for the glory of God. So Paul goes through this whole testimony about how he was persecutor of Christians, how he uh, was trying to kill these people who who were professing Jesus. And then out of The midst of that moment, he himself has a vision of who Jesus is and and he is healed of his blindness and on and on Paul goes about his own testimony and then we pick up the story at his final point of his defense in Acts 26 verses 27 to 32. Paul is wrapping up his statement and it's really not his defense, it's his testimony about who God is. Here's what Paul says, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I... I know it's just a short passage, and so again, I encourage you to go back and read uh, all of this chapter, Acts 26, because you see a picture of the Apostle Paul who is using an unjust circumstance to bring glory to God, to share his testimony, and he gets to the end of after telling uh, King Agrippa about everything that has happened and how God has uh, changed his life, and then he tries to begin to persuade King Agrippa, and King Agrippa is, is, Got his defenses up and he's not having any of it. He says, Paul, are you trying to convert me? Is this what is going on here? And, and Paul says, listen, I, I wouldn't just hope that you would be converted, that you would come to Christ. I would hope that everybody who's hearing my testimony would also come to Christ. They wrap up the discussion with King Agrippa, simply saying, listen, this guy could be set free, except that he appealed to Caesar. And so now we have to send him on to Caesar. Do you catch that? Are you? Are you understanding what Paul did? He took an unjust circumstances that that were brought against him, unjust accusations that were brought against him, and he is using it to be an unveiler of God's kingdom in the midst of it. This is difficult. Paul is facing difficult circumstances. In fact, if we turn the page and we keep reading the story, we know that he was shipwrecked, that he was imprisoned, that he faced all kinds of hardships, because of this decision to follow through and and to be a gospel witness even through his imprisonment. But what we also know about this is the gospel spread and Paul's letters that were written during this, this imprisonment time are some of the greatest influences in the kingdom of God throughout all of history. That God used Paul's willingness to face unjust circumstances and Paul's willingness Uh, to, to surrender himself to God's will during this time so that the kingdom of God could be revealed to those who would come in contact with Paul. So let me make a point about this. And that is, as priests, we are called to unveil God to the world by using every opportunity to talk about and demonstrate his kingdom. This is a great picture of what Paul did. He took the very most of an opportunity. He didn't think about his own defense and how he's going to get out of this circumstance. He said, how can I use this situation to reveal to the people around me who God is and how his kingdom works? As priests, we're called to unveil God to the world by using every opportunity to talk about and demonstrate his kingdom. Now, unveiling is a prophetic word, a uh, uh, work that takes place. So when I use the word prophetic, some people might think of the gift of prophecy and they might think of just kind of waiting on God and all of a sudden they get a, a word specifically from God and then they speak that out and it, and it unveils God's plan. So uh, many people might think of it in those terms. And that is an aspect, one aspect of prophetic gifting. But when I'm using the word prophetic here, I'm using it synonymously with unveiling or demonstrating something. So it's much like if you had a, a piece of art that had a curtain over it, a sculpture, or or a, a picture, an oil painting, and it had this uh, cloth over it that was that was covering it up you know something is there, but you can't really see it. You have no definition around it. And it's only when the person, if I were to take the cloth and pull it off, it would be an unveiling of what's under the cloth. And so when I talk about an unveiling or a prophetic revelation to the world around us, I'm not speaking of so much a specific word of prophecy as much as I am saying that as priests in God's kingdom, as followers and disciples of Jesus, that's part of our role. That is definitely not of just a certain group of people, but of all followers of Jesus. We pull the cloth away. We reveal who God is in Jesus Christ. We demonstrate through our actions. We speak through our words of what the kingdom of God is like. That's part of our calling and and that's what we're asked to do is be this prophetic voice and prophetic demonstration to the world around us of what the kingdom is like. So we show something that is hidden to others. So before I came to Christ, I didn't have a clear picture of what the gospel was about. I didn't have an understanding of what the scriptures were about. I didn't understand who Jesus was really. I just thought of him as a historical figure. But Christians in my life, when I was in high school, they pulled the cloth away, they unveiled who Jesus was. They, they shared with me passages of scripture that helped with my understanding. So they were a prophetic voice to me as I gained understanding about who God was in the world. And this is our calling. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your calling to be that prophetic voice that unveils God to the world around you. Now, this, this is, hear me on this point especially, this is difficult, this is challenging for us, but we can only unveil when we say and do things that don't have the same sound as everyone else. We can only unveil or we're only unveiling God's kingdom when we're not doing and saying the same things as everyone else. So for comparison, here's Jesus unveiling the Father So while the disciples were clamoring for authority and who's going to be the next leader and who's going to be the next uh, in line to Jesus, what does Jesus do? Well, you may know if you're familiar with the story, he washes the disciples' feet. Instead of giving into or talking about authority, Jesus becomes a servant. He's unveiling the kingdom to them by washing their feet. The religious leaders of the day were burdening burdening people with laws and regulation. So the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were putting heavy laws on people. And so in contrast, Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples, he doesn't tell them to put more burdens on people. He says, they'll know you're my disciples the way that you love one another. He simplifies it down, he says, love your neighbor and love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he identifies the act of loving, being very good at expressing love to one another as the identifying mark. Whereas the religious leaders had their their knowledge of the law and their obedience to the law and heavy burdens, Jesus contrasts that. He unveils the kingdom as a kingdom demonstrated with love. So here's another one is that Jesus in the midst of performing great miracles and he gathers these crowds of five, 10, 15,000 people. And so the way within the, in that time and even our culture today would be great, you've got a great crowd, now keep doing that, keep gathering the crowd. Jesus unveiling what the kingdom is about, he gives a difficult teaching that actually drives a large amount of the crowd away. Most of the crowd dispersed because Jesus taught something that was difficult for them to swallow. And then he withdraws to be with the Father. See, he unveils something about the kingdom. It's a different voice than the culture around him at that time. And so this is this is important for us to understand that if if we're going to be a prophetic or an unveiling voice and demonstration of the kingdom around us, we can't look and sound like every other voice and every other demonstration in the world around us. Uh, we, We have to be a variation of that. We have to be something totally different than that. There's thousands of others who are sharing the same things on social media, thousands of others who are making the same statements. What does the kingdom of God sound like in that? Because if it doesn't sound different, it's probably not the kingdom of God. It's most likely not because Jesus had a very distinct voice in his culture around him. So if our voice as priests in his kingdom don't sound different, then we're probably not uh, presenting an unveiling of God's kingdom. We're probably propagating the same voice that's already in the culture. So we we need to uh, unveil uh, God's voice. So how do we capture that? I know I keep saying it, so here's here's how we uh, capture that or recapture that and become that voice. Unveiling the kingdom of God happens when we bring a gospel message. Let me say it again. The kingdom of God is unveiled when we bring a gospel message through our words and through our actions. Well, what's, what's a gospel message? Maybe you're wondering how, you know, I understand that sounds like a religious term. What does it mean to bring a gospel message? The, the term gospel, uh, really, if you were to just to define it real simply, it just means good news. And the good news as defined through Jesus is the ushering in of the kingdom of God. Good news is that God is coming and in fact has come in Christ and he's bringing with him what the kingdom of God looks like. And so we unveil the kingdom of God when we bring a message that reveals the good news about the kingdom. So in other words, it's not a restatement or, of the facts or opinions of others about a situation. And it's also not a change to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. That's not necessarily a good news message. It's not a restatement, let me say it again, it's not a restatement of the facts or opinions of others. That's not good news. That's just repeating what we've already heard or what others know. And it's not even a change to the circumstance, it's not a message about changing all of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Here's here's what a good news message is, it is a message of hope of how God can change the individual in the midst of a situation. That's a good news message. A good news message, the, the gospel message, that ushers in or unveils the kingdom is a message that helps us to understand that hope has come through the kingdom of God, because whether my circumstances change or not, whether the facts are actually play out the way it seems, or whether it's opinions are the way that things happen, it doesn't really change what God can do within me. That's a good news message. That I have hope in my life, not based on opinions, not based solely on facts, not based on the circumstances being conditioned one way or another, But the hope that I have is because the kingdom of God has come into my life, and I know the hope giver, Jesus Christ. I know the truth of scripture, and so I know how things come together at the end. A good news message says that I can experience and live in the kingdom in the here and now, irrespective of all the other messages that are happening around me. It's not blinders, it's not a denial of facts, or it's not ignoring others' opinions. It's not ignoring the circumstances and saying I'm oblivious to what's happening around me. No, it's a a deep realization that the world is as it is. The facts are what they are, but in no way does that diminish God's work of his kingdom within side of me and how then I am allowed or how I am empowered live the life that he has for me so let me finish with this encouraging you with a couple questions because I think all of us when we hear this good news message we're inspired we're encouraged to live it out we want to have a different voice than all the other voices around us we want to bring and unveil the kingdom of God so let me ask how is this playing out for you and and for me Uh, one How are we with dealing with suffering, even when it's unjust, especially when it's unjust? Do we kick and push against it, revile, or do we ask this question? Do I ask God, is there a way that the kingdom of God can be revealed in my life, even though I'm being accused unjustly? Even though I'm suffering for something that I shouldn't really have to be suffering through? Is there a way that I can reveal your kingdom in the midst of this, much like the Apostle Paul did when he was accused unjustly and he unveiled the kingdom before the highest levels of authority throughout Rome because he was willing to suffer unjustly so that he could glorify God in the midst of it. Are you open to that? (laughs) Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to face something that's difficult, even if it's not of your own doing, so that God can be glorified. Maybe a better question isn't just, are you willing to do it? But in the midst of these difficult times, how are you doing with that? How are you dealing with things that you feel are unjust in your life? Are you turning to God and saying, God, are you being glorified or can I glorify you somehow in this? Or are you and I just asking, how can I change these circumstances because it's unjust or unfair? It's an important question for us to consider. The second one is, what words and actions tell others about whose kingdom you're defending or promoting? What words and actions tell others about whose kingdom you're defending or promoting? Again, that just goes back to the idea that you can't at one hand defend and promote one kingdom without it being at the expense of another kingdom. So if you are bent, if I am bent on this idea of promoting our own kingdom or a political party or the defense of an individual, then we're going to consume our time with that kingdom and promoting that over another kingdom. You say, well, why can't I do both? Why can't I uh, promote both kingdoms at the same time? Well, I think it comes. Uh, I think John 3:17 is a great portion. We're familiar with John 3:16 of how God sent His Son into the world, but John 3:17 says, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him." Heard a teacher once say it this way: You can't at once condemn the world and set the world free. You can't uh, both at once condemn the world and save it. You either are gonna condemn and that's your voice or you're going to bring a message of redemption and that's your voice. And it's very similar in terms of what kingdoms we're going to promote. We're going to promote a kingdom that propagates the authorities and the structures of this world and we're going to focus on that or we're going to propagate and unveil the kingdom of God, and let people see that. It's one of those things that when we get drawn into it, we're going to love one and hate the other (laughs) or neglect one at the expense of the other. And so I wanna encourage you, whose message are you propagating? Whose kingdom are you unveiling? Is it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world? One final note about that. I get it often. So am I saying that we shouldn't be active in politics? Not at all. Uh, We should, as scripture says, we should pray. If we feel like we should write a letter to our senator, we should, but I know people who are far too consumed. They're worried about a senator in New York. I don't live in New York. I don't write to senators in New York. So why am I consumed about what happens and promoting things about a senator in New York or California or some other part of the world? What I should be focused on is what God has called me to do. If I pray, then I'm going to pray for these leaders. But other than that, my job is to, if I feel engaged to write a letter to my local uh, congressmen or women or senators, uh, I can do that. But the primary mandate is to pray for them. And then when I have an opportunity to vote, to use my vote as stewardship. I would just suggest that anything outside of that, you're propagating a kingdom that you're not really a part of as a follower of Christ. You're part of his kingdom and you're here as a sojourner. And so if you're spending too much time propagating and pushing out information about other kingdoms, um, you're, you're not helping uh, your message be clear and resounding about God's kingdom. We're starting to muddy the waters a little bit. So let me finish with that. Uh, we want to really immerse ourselves in God's kingdom. Share the good news. You have a good news message in Jesus Christ. You have a message of hope that his kingdom has come and it is making a change in your life and it can make a change in the life of those people around you. I, let me close with just a word of prayer and encouragement to you uh, as we finish up. So, Lord, we thank you for this time together. Uh, again, we just submit ourselves to you. This is challenging, God. It's always challenging when we recognize that we're being pressed by the culture around us. We're being pressed to, to be and do things that you're not necessarily calling us to be and do. And instead, Lord, we want to be priests in your kingdom God, give us that clear, resounding voice that we have a gospel of hope, a message of hope to the world around us. And Lord, help us to not muddy that up, but to make it clear and make it very uh, available to the people that we're in contact with. Lord, we want to be ambassadors for you who have hope and a future, and we know that the circumstances don't change us. We have the ability to live freely and lightly in the circumstances that we're involved, that we experience today. So Lord, I ask your favor upon each one who is hearing this today. Would you just give them grace for this, empower them? Lord, I pray that you just put a great message upon their lips, Lord, that as they share that out, they'll recognize how, what a difference that makes, how that sounds so different than the world around them and the other messages that are out there. And that with that message, Lord, they can revolutionize and change people's lives and the culture around them. I thank you for it. Uh, God, uh, as we hear this, empower us to live it. And we thank you that you do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you as he empowers you to live out this gospel message and unveil his kingdom to the people and the world around you in Jesus name.
0: You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.